We're continuing today to talk about marriage. Been talking about it for a couple of weeks. We'll be talking about it for a few more weeks. Today, four timely tips for a marriage worth treasuring. Most people I know who are married really want, at least they start out, really wanting to make the most of their relationship. One of the challenges is that we're so very different, men and women. I've been told this, and I guess I had a hard time believing it until I got married. We're different than one another. I can see this in my grandkids. The little boys are just constantly motoring. They love to crash into things. They like to throw balls. They're rough and tumble. The little girls, not so much. They want to play dolly and be mommy. They're very different. I want to illustrate some of the difference this morning. Take a look at this video. This will illustrate the difference. Does that pretty well tell the tale? <laughs> kind of extreme, I know, but I just couldn't resist. I, in fact, every time I watched it, I broke up so badly, I thought, I don't think I'll be able to preach after I show this. <laughs> so let's go home. That's <laughs> just a riot. I put that on my Facebook page. <laughs> Here's the deal. The result of our experiences together may not seem to contribute to our end goal all the time due to our differences. We have differences, men and women. But if we really want to get along and live in harmony, we can make that a reality in our lives. I'm convinced we can, with some help along the way. Like the song says, we can work it out. That's why we're focusing on marriage this month. If there were no hope for our marriages and we had to just sort of live this a dull existence together, wouldn't that be horrible? But there is hope. And especially for believers in Christ, there's hope. Because he's in us, working within us and working through us. 
And we can relate to one another. We can overcome the differences. If not overcome them, at least know how to deal with them. And there are differences. So what I want to share today are four practical things a couple can do to help themselves achieve this goal of having a marriage that's worth treasuring. These are four simple, practical things rather than four profound, complex things. We don't need those. We need simple, practical things. Four things we can do that will make a difference. Even if you have to do it alone, without the help of your mate, these four things can make a difference. Of course, if we're not doing them consciously and well, they need to be mentioned, lest they go unnoticed and undone. So that's why we're talking about them. The first thing I would say is this. In your relationship with your spouse, make certain that you bless your mate. The idea of blessing is a prominent issue in the cultures found throughout the Bible. I had an interesting experience this week. I I had uh, read some about blessing in the Old Testament, but this week I read an extensive article about it written by a Dr. Timothy Clinton. Dr. Clinton is the president of the 50,000-member American Association of Christian Counselors. He is a professor, I think, in fact, I believe he's the department chair at um, Liberty University at Lynchburg, Virginia, Christian University. And he writes about this thing of blessing in the Old Testament. He says the Hebrew word, balak, by the way, that sounds like barak, do I not get the drift? Um, means to kneel down. The extended idea means to do or to give something of value to another person. That comes into play big time. Blessing is one of the most important words in the Bible. It's used over 640 times in the Old Testament and is pictured in God's original plan for humankind. Listen to these words. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. That's critical. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, etc., etc. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. We were created for blessing. That's the point. Now, there are unique spiritual and prophetic aspects of the blessing that lay with the patriarchs alone. We can read about those in the Bible in places like Genesis 49. But the basic relational elements of the blessing provide powerful tools to communicate acceptance, protection, and affirmation, and they're still in application today. In studying the blessing in the scriptures, we find that its principles can be used in any intimate relationship. So we're called to bless one another. And especially is that true in marriage. We're called to bless our mate. When you look at the New Testament, blessing in the Greek comes from the word eulogia. means to speak well of. Like when we bless the Lord, we speak well of him. You've been to a funeral, and someone has gotten up and read a eulogy. comes from the word eulogia. They have spoken well of the deceased, what they accomplished in life, what their character was like, etc., etc. It also means to cause to prosper, to make happy, to bestow things upon another person. Here's my experience in life, and I think it's true. Most people suffer, at least at times, 
from an unhealthy self-image. I'll bet you that 90-95% of all the counseling I did as a youth pastor centered around that very thing, self-image and unhealthy self-images. Life and other people just have a way of beating us down, don't they? Can you imagine what value it can be at times like that when you're spoken well of by your mate? That's what a blessing our mate can be. That's how they can behave in our lives that is so mutu- in a way that's so mutually beneficial. Side benefit, benefit of that is seen in how may, they may well respond to us as a result of our issues that we deal with in life. I'll tell you a little story. I can't remember whether I told you this before, but bears repeating. When I was in college, I played intramural basketball. It was just a bunch of guys, and we rented Roosevelt High School, and we'd go over there one night a week, and we'd play basketball. I wasn't a great basketball player, but we had a lot of fun together. There were two guys, upper class, well, one was a classmate of mine, but he was older than me. He was married and had children when he came to school. The other guy was a year or two ahead of me. And I noticed something over time. When one guy was there and I was on his team, I played better. When the other guy was there and I was on his team, I often didn't play as well. And I analyzed that sometime after the fact. The reason for the, the, for the difference was that when I played better, the guy whose team I was on was constantly affirming me. Even if I made a mistake, he made something positive out of it. The other guy was a negative reinforcer. I played better for the guy who affirmed me than for the guy who didn't. Apply it to marriage. We'll live better if we're affirmed than if we're not. It will make a difference in our relationship. All this has to do with blessing our mate. We should bless with our actions. Our love and our devotion for our mate ought to be seen in what we do for them. It's a way of showing honor. I'm going to quote a verse that I quoted a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to quote it next week, quoting it to you today. By the way, next week's message, to some degree, there will be some overlap with what we're talking about today. Uh, We're going to be talking about some of the same things from a different angle. And I don't know that that's bad because repetition is the mother of all learning, right? But you have heard this verse. You will hear it again. I think it's pivotal in marital relationships. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. The idea here, I think, is that we should try to outdo each other in showing honor. This needs to start at home. Needs to start with our mate. The context for this verse is an interesting read. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This translation says give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. The context has to do with things like love and and uh, zeal, and hope, and even if you read far enough, hospitality. Um, It's a great statement. And it belongs to marriage as well as it does to the fellowship of the body. It's really written in, in its initial context. It's written to the body of Christ at large. But we can apply it big time to marriage. You know why? 
marriage or the, the church starts with a couple. The, the, the irreducible breakdown of uh, the, 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 uh, the, the lowest number of the body of Christ is a man and a wife, Adam and Eve, and then others. That's why. So the next time you feel an urge to do something nice for your mate, don't let your schedule or your pocketbook keep you from it. Change the schedule. Modify the plan to suit your budget, but do it. Actions speak louder than words. We should show our devotion by what we do for our mate. Now, it doesn't mean that words are worthless. Words are very, very important. We bless with our words. Let's go back to Dr. Clinton for a minute. He says something about this in the context of blessing. Words have an immense power to build us up or tear us down emotionally. This is particularly true when it comes to giving or gaining family approval. Many people can clearly remember the words of praise that their parents spoke years ago. Others can remember just as clearly the negative words that they heard. Listen to this. Throughout Scripture, we find a keen recognition of the power and importance of spoken words. In the very beginning, God spoke and the world came into being. When God sent His Son to communicate His love and complete His plan of salvation, it was His Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. God has always communicated His blessings through spoken words. In marriage, it means to speak kind words to one another and to speak kind words about one another. Words that positively reinforce instead of negatively critique all the time. And Proverbs gives us some direction here. I've chosen three Proverbs to share with you this morning. Proverbs 15.23 A man or a person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. Proverbs 12.25 An anxious heart weighs a person down but a kind word cheers him up. And then this is a picturesque statement. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Why don't we do this as a matter of course? What, what, is, what happens to us in our marriages where we get to the point where we take each other for granted and we don't give each other the time of day sometimes and we don't speak kindly to or about one another? It happens, doesn't it? We're negligent. Some people I know find it easier to be critical of one another than to bless one another. And one big reason is often we weren't raised that way. We didn't hear it in our own homes, perhaps. Here's some other reasons, though. You know, if I talk that way to my mate, they'll think I'm faking it. <laughs> well, go ahead and do it anyway. Well, if I talk that way to the, my mate, they, they just wouldn't appreciate it. Well, do it anyway. Well, it doesn't feel masculine to do this, or it doesn't feel feminine to do this, to bless my mate. Well, do it anyway. Well, I feel like I'm bragging about my mate if I do that. Well, do it anyway. They could use a little bragging on once in a while. I mean, really, if you don't do it, if I don't do it, who will? Worst case scenario, no one. I saw a poster one time, I think I told you about this, it's, I've never forgotten, I was at Trinity College, we were visiting Sarah when she was in college, and I saw this big poster on the wall. It said, don't worry too much about what other people think about you, because when the truth is known, they seldom do. 
Sad, isn't it? Very sad, but true. But it shouldn't be that way between two people who've committed themselves to one another for life in marriage. So the question, if I don't do it, who will, is irrelevant if we're married. Nobody should have to do what I'm privileged to do for my mate. And that is to bless them. Do we live our lives like this? Well, I live in the same world you live in, and we can get so bogged down in the routine that we forget what we're supposed to be doing. Practical, simple, not complex, yet nevertheless profound. Bless your mate. Secondly, and closely related, we should edify our mate. It has to do with placing high value on them. Let's go back to Dr. Clinton. To value something means to attach honor to it. In Hebrew, the word to bless means literally to bow the knee. We've already mentioned that. The words of blessing should carry with them the recognition that the person being blessed is valuable and has redeeming qualities. When you look at Genesis chapter 27, Isaac used the word picture to describe how valuable his son was to him. And it won't mean much to you and me, but it meant a lot to them in that context and in that culture. Here's what he said. The smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. In that agrarian society, that meant something. Word pictures are a way of communicating acceptance and high value. Closely related to what we can do for our mate through words, in addition to blessing them, is to edify them. It comes from the Greek word oikodemeo. It's a compound noun. Oikos means house. Demo has to do with constructing a house or building a house. It, so it means to build up. To edify someone is to build them up, to speak well of them. Paul established this point very well in Ephesians 4.29. He said, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Then in Romans 14, 9, he says this, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, that is right relationships with each other, and to mutual edification, to mutually build one another up. Another way of saying build one another up is to say encourage or confirm, or, or cheer on. What has God called your mate to be? Answer, the best they can be. Do we know how much more likely that is to happen when they have someone in their corner affirming them? In, the very, in a very real sense, we hold a key in unlocking the door to our mate's personal potential. It's all in what we say to them and how we say it. It's in the contribution we make to their self-image. Our words to our mate, listen to this, our words to our mate can help them deal with past rejection. They can help them deal with failures. They can help them deal with criticism. They can help them deal with self-doubt. So here's just a few practical guidelines when we're endeavoring to edify our mate. We, number one, need, this is in your message outline, you can follow along. We need to remember our role. 
What is our role in our mate's life? It's not to critique. It's to encourage. We should be sensitive to their areas of weakness and build them up by affirming them in whatever way we can. We should find out what they really do well, and that becomes obvious as you're, if, after you're married for a while, and affirm them or encourage them in it. Here's another one. I think this is big. We should help our mate think bigger than they normally might think about who they are and what they can be. I want to read something to you. Some years ago I came across this. The encouragement of leadership. We in each other's lives have a role, even the wife has a role in leadership in terms of her husband. He has a role in leadership in terms of his wife. You remember Reggie Jackson, Mr. October? Great baseball player. He said this, and you can apply this to marriage. I'll tell you what makes a great manager, he said. A good manager has a knack for making ball players think they are better than what they think they are. Let that one sink in. He forces you to have a good opinion of yourself. He lets you know he believes in you. He makes you get more out of yourself. And once you learn how, to, how good you really are, says Reggie Jackson, you never settle for playing anything less than your very best. That's what edifying our mate can mean. Let's edify our mates. Let's bless them. Let's edify them. Let's don't view them as, oh, that's the person I married, that's the person I'm stuck with. That's the person you're privileged to be with. God was in that somehow. If he wasn't, he'll be in it now. And he will make us, help us make the best of our relationships. Third thing, we should share with our mate. Again, I said these are simple, practical things. This, this sharing involves our entire life. Our time, our activities, our interests, our ideas, our concerns, our thoughts, our spiritual walk, our goals, etc. Basically, it's living like we love each other because that's essential to love. One thing essential to love is the fact of sharing. You never met two people who were in love who didn't want to be with each other, who didn't want to share with each other. But sometimes in marriage, we act like that's not true. Listen to Dr. Ed Wheat, who's written a lot about marriage. He sums it up very well. He says, sharing demands giving of yourself, listening to your partner, and developing a sensitive awareness of moments that offer possibilities for deepening the love between you. Biblical substantiation for this? Absolutely. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Titus chapter 3, older women can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children. We should know how to develop our sharing in, in three areas or three categories. Common ground, separate ground, and new ground. Let me go over that because they're, they're kind of like overlapping concentric circles. Common ground. Here, here's, a, here's a great exercise. And I'm serious about this. I would suggest that you sometime, maybe this afternoon, sometime when you think of it and you're together and you can concentrate on each other, take a piece of paper 
and list how many things you have in common and how you can develop those things. The goal ought to be to increase our common ground, the things which we have in common together. And this can be done by separating our separate ground, or by, by uh, assessing our separate ground. What interest does your mate have that you don't have? What interest do you have that they don't have? Is there any way of stretching one another to get involved in each other's worlds in terms of that separate ground? Increasing our common ground can also be increased by assessing then our new ground. See, see where this is going? I was talking to my wife yesterday and I said, you know, I come down to my work in my workshop all the time. How would you like to learn some of this? Oh, she jumped up and down and said, hallelujah. I've been waiting for you to ask me for years. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but the idea is we can be more a part of each other's lives if we'll plan for it. There is this thing of common ground or we wouldn't be together. There is this thing of separate ground, things you do that she doesn't do, things she does, she does that you don't do. But there's also this thing of new ground, things we can do together. We can forge new paths together. Here's some tips on how to share effectively with each other. Don't overlook the little things. The little things are not little. They may be very significant. Secondly, be a conversationalist. Someone said, most women spell intimacy T-A-L-K. Should we show the video again? <laughs> Minimize distractions. When you're talking to each other, try to do it sometimes anyway without the TV. If what you're doing is important, minimize distractions. And communicate at every level possible. Here's a quick list of the five sharing levels that I've read about one time. There's the superficial level. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? There's the reporting level. This is where too many of us live only too often. What would you do today? Oh, I did this. What would you do today? I did this. Then there's sharing ideas and judgments. I think this. My opinion is this. Then there's sharing feelings and emotions. We're going to talk more about that next week. I feel this. I feel that. Then there's this level of complete emotional and truthful exchange. I think the idea is that we should remain engaged with one another instead of becoming two lonely people who happen to share the same living quarters. I used to meet a lot of people early in the morning when I pastored in Wisconsin. I'd get guys before they went to work. We'd meet at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And the only place in town when I first went, we first went to this little community was the Family Chef restaurant at I-94 and Highway 83. And I'd go in and <clears throat> meet with guys. And occasionally, well, not occasionally, all the time, there were people coming and going. It was a very busy place. But I would observe people when they came in. And I would see particularly older couples come in. He'd grab the newspaper. He'd give her his part, her part. She'd take her part. He'd had his part. They would sit down for breakfast. And I saw couples <clears throat> go through an entire breakfast time together with hardly uttering a word. And I thought to myself, God, don't let that happen to me. I don't want that to happen in my marriage. You know what? The longer you're married the more comfortable it is to let that happen because you know so much about each other. Why talk about it? We already know it. 
So there are times we're driving along in the car, and I'll just come up with a question. If you could live anywhere you wanted to live other than here, where would it be? Just anything to get conversation going. But evidently, I'm not doing that often enough. My wife says, you're awfully quiet. What are you thinking? Um, hmm. Then there are times, you know, you, you, sometimes I just ask her, how did you luck out to get such a great guy like me? No. <laughs> I think you get the point. We've got to remain everlastingly at it to keep our relationship fresh. And it takes work. We should share with our mates. Are they the last to know what's going on in our lives? Shouldn't be, but all too often it is, right? There's one other thing here we ought to talk about. We should touch our mate. Somebody said, aha, I've been waiting for this one. We should touch our mate. Let's go back to Dr. Clinton one last time. When Isaac blessed his son, he said, come near and kiss me, my son. This was not an isolated incident. Each time the blessing was given in the scriptures, meaningful touch provided a caring background to the words that would be spoken. So in the scriptures you read of kissing, hugging, laying on of hands, this is all part of the bestowal of blessing. Meaningful touch has many beneficial effects. The act of touch is a key to communicating warmth, personal acceptance, and affirmation. For Isaac, as well as for any person who wishes to see the blessing grow and develop in a child, spouse, or friend, get this, touch is an, integ is an integral part of blessing. So we should touch our mates. Our culture teaches us there are three types of touching. Superficial, like a handshake. Aggressive, like a bear hug or contact sports. Or, and sexual. What we want to talk about right now is something more than superficial. Less than aggressive. And something that in and of itself is non-sexual. Although in a married couple's lives it can legitimately become that. The reality is that we can easily err in one of two directions when it comes to something like this. We can avoid it altogether, or we can overdo it in our relationship. The result, on the one hand, we end up with a state and stoic non-physical existence. On the other hand, it can lead to an overindulgence that can become not only sensuous, but even disrespectful, even of our mate. The role meaningful touch can play is immense. I've done some reading on this. I didn't realize it was this important. It's a message without words. Touch. It can say, a very touch can say, I'm with you. I'm connected. It can say, I care about you. A simple touch can say, I love you. And it can say it all. Without uttering, without uttering a word. One time, after Doris and I had moved to the Swiss cities, we were heavily involved trying to get ministry started in the city. It was taking a long time. I was very discouraged for a time. And uh, there are a lot of reasons that fed into that, but let's just suffice and say I was, I was really down. 
And we were at church. We were attending Grace Church, and they were in Eden Prairie, or at, uh, in Edina at the time. And we were sitting in a contemporary service, and she must have sensed that something was up, that I was having a rough day. During the service, she just put her arm on my shoulder. It said volumes to me. I could feel myself relax. It said to me, you mean something. It said, you're significant. It said, you're doing a good thing. Not a word was uttered. It was just a touch. Look at the place of touch in Jesus' life. He touched when he healed. Peter's mother-in-law, two blind men, his disciples when they were afraid at the transfiguration. He touched a leper. I mean, that's going out of your way because you didn't touch lepers. You didn't touch dead people. Jesus touched dead people. Not only did Jesus touch people, people touched Jesus. And at times he knew something special, special was happening. The woman with the issue of blood touched him and he knew it. The crowds were pressing in on him. Read about it in Matthew 14. Why so important? In one crisp sentence, it's important because people need to know they're loved and touch is one way to communicate it. Here's just a few guidelines for meaningful touch. You can use this in your marriage. Touch when you communicate. Even when you argue. In fact, the practical side of that is that that might keep you from throwing things at each other. Touch when you pray together. Touch when you retire for the evening. Maybe a hug, maybe a kiss, maybe a cuddle. But touch. I read in the Encyclopedia of Psychology what touch has to do with psychotherapy was very interesting to me. It appears to me that several of the comments said there could be applied to marriage. So I've made a list for you. I think it's in your message outline, isn't it? Yes. It's kind of clinical, but there's some good stuff said here about touch that we can apply to marriage. Touch is a service to be given. It's not something to be taken. Touch should spring from a desire to help, to comfort, to encourage, and to reassure. Touching is also used to share genuine joy and the enthusiasm of celebration. It conveys warmth and acceptance and intuitive understanding, the essential healing influence, by the way. Its most important use is to enhance self-esteem. We've already touched on that. No pun intended. But self-esteem is huge in our lives. In the nursing profession, touch is recognized as healing, relaxing, encouraging, and giving hope. We should be careful not to use it only to satisfy merely our own needs for whatever reason, power, affection, or sexuality. Touch. Want to do something simple and practical for your mate? Meaningful touch. Now, I don't know whether it started out this way, but this, uh, if you look at this, this forms an acronym. 
Want a marriage worth treasuring? You can have the best marriage in the world. Bless. That's the Holy Spirit's conviction. She's going to get touched in a very meaningful way. <laughs> Spells the word best. Let's bless our mates. Let's edify our mates. Let's share with our mates. Let's meaningfully touch our mates. Let's touch God right now through prayer.